Storytelling podcast where we speak with experts and influencers in marketing, content, and brand publishing. We bring you the latest trends, tips, and insights so that you can help your brand tell its story and connect with its audience. Welcome to the Brand Storytelling Podcast for another exciting week. And today we're going to be diving into the future of journalism, how that will look for traditional media and publishers, as well as a deep dive into the trends and opportunities that will open up for freelance journalists right around the world. And joining me is the Assistant Professor in Journalism and Electronic Media at Texas Tech University, Leah Helmuller. Now, Leah grew up in Switzerland and worked as a reporter there before moving to the United States, where she now now works studying the structures of news networks, moving from regional or national systems to international with the use of freelancers and what the future of news gathering will look like. Leah, it's fantastic to have you on the show. This is a really interesting topic from a Newsmoto perspective. Um, you actually contacted Newsmoto recently as part of the studies and we were so inspired by what you're doing that we just said we have to get you straight onto the podcast. So growing up in Switzerland, you were surrounded by books, I'm told. What were your early impressions of great storytelling? Well, first of all, I'm really happy to be here and so excited to talk about the future of journalism today. So, yes, I grew up in Switzerland, and as a matter of fact, my dad is and still is a German and French teacher. So we have a huge library at my house back in um, Switzerland um, that starts in the living room and ends in his office space. And it, all the books are alphabetically ordered, so if you pick one and you want to read it, you have to kind of leave a note there so that my dad doesn't get confused. So yes, every time I would go on vacation, I would take at least seven books and um, mostly fictional stories that, you know, I would like read one a day and I would be totally immersed in that reading experience and, you know, the transferable experience of fictional stories really um, taught me how storytelling can be a very powerful tool in not only teaching, but also making you feel about something that a person wants to write about. Mm, which is such a big part of news reporting too. The emotive uh, element of storytelling in, in news reporting is so critical and some of the best journalists in the world just know how to nail it. How did you get into journalism from that interest in reading and, and capturing the imagination through storytelling? Oh, I guess just by chance because I really loved um, reading and writing. So even when I was little, I would write fictional stories and read it to my sister, you know, and and um, so I really wanted to be a writer and I thought journalism would be a good option um, as well as, you know, um, going out there and meeting all those diverse people and um, finding out um, more about their lives. So I just had this, I don't know, um, instinct right. and um, desire to know more about what's going on in society and around the world. Yeah. And around the world it took you. So how did you end up in, in the United States from working as a reporter in Switzerland? Oh, um, it's kind of like a long story. So in 2001, I came to the U.S. to San Francisco first, um, where I studied English and I worked at a hotel just to, you know, improve my English. Um, and then after 9-11, I actually went back home to Switzerland. But that kind of sparked my interest of studying in the States. So I came back in 2005 as a 
exchange student and I went to uh, Cal State Long Beach, so Long Beach, California. <laughs> and so again, I went back home and I finished my studies there and um, I worked as a journalist in, on different um, platforms, um, print, TV, um, as well as I was one of the first online journalists, actually, starting in 2005 in Switzerland, where most of what we did was copying, pasting, you know, what was in the paper. <laughs> so um, it was a very low prestigious job at that time, I think. Um, but I was really, really fascinated by the technology. And then um, I was lucky to get a Fulbright to study um, for my PhD in the U.S. So I came back to the University of Missouri. Um, and yeah, that's where I studied and um, got my PhD and um, yeah, started working. And now you're out at the old panhandle of West Texas. How's that? <laughs> well, it's a totally different experience. But um, as I said, I think to really capture all the different stories that society um, can tell us, it's very important for especially Europeans to also experience the other side of the U.S., not just the East or West Coast, but also kind of dive into the, uh, the, the heart of the United United States, right? Texas is a very important state when it comes to an election, right? So it is a huge state. Um, I read um, the other day on the internet that the state of Texas is um, 15 or 16 times as big as the country of Switzerland. <laughs> so, you know, just imagine that culture shock. It's overwhelming culture shock <laughs> indeed. So tell us in a nutshell about this work you've been doing and, and what you're starting to uncover. Um, so um, my first big research project that I was doing was uh, on journalism professionalism. And I um, started this project in 2012 um, involving 29 countries. And I was heading this project with my colleague in um, South America, Chile. And basically there we only looked at, you know, traditional news reporting in print newspapers. And so um, I started developing a class in 2013, 2014 on uh, global journalism, but I started thinking about the future of global journalism, right? Because students ask you um, what they should do. Like, let's say they want to go into foreign reporting, but when they look at foreign reporters or they try to find foreign reporters' um, profiles, they're very discouraged because those are usually you know, experienced people with a lot of years um, in the field, usually from prestigious universities. So when I started talking about those digital startups, they were really, you know, that kind of opened a totally new world to them as well. Um, and that sparked my interest for research as well, you know, rethinking the concept of global journalism and uh, what the future actually holds now in a digital and connected world that's more and more um, impacted by a global world and, you know, the, the strategies and the dynamics that are going on um, globally are so much different than, you know, before, I think. Absolutely. And this goes really to the heart of why we created Newsmoto in the first place, to provide a global network of freelancers for traditional newsrooms to tap into, to extend their coverage and capabilities. And it's so exciting that you've been able to uncover this through your studies as well. Mm -hmm. What do you say is the future of journalism, um, particularly for freelancers? Well, that's such a big question, right? So um, I also have to mention here that in the past, whenever we would 
do research on foreign reporters, mm. um, we would traditionally go by the organization. And that might have something to do with our journalism theory, so that we theorize journalism as being part of an organization, right? So there's almost no research, um, at least that I know, that's focusing on freelance journalists because they were just not part of the organization, you know, traditionally. So now that, for example, in the United States, that the number of traditional newspaper foreign correspondents dropped from um, 307 in 2003 to 200 in 2011. So that's about 25%, right? A fall of about 25%. And when we look at TV network coverage of global news, it's less than half in 2013 compared to the late um, 1980s. So there is some, you know, space that is opening up because on one hand, um, we, we, we see an increasing need of being more informed about global issues, just uh, such as ISIS or the Zika virus right now. And on the other hand, we have fewer people covering it within that traditional framework of news, like, you know, talking about the traditional news organization. So I think the future is really about connecting those um, foreign reporters that, you know, are increasingly operating without an organization, so without a safety network, right? Um, connecting them to audiences globally, you know. On one hand, of course, connecting them to traditional news outlets, but also to um, audiences and engaging them. And I was just going to jump in there and say, and there's so many ways that that can, that can happen now through all the different um, social streams, through so many different platforms online. It really has leveled out the playing field and great storytelling, no matter who it comes from and where it comes from it, it will always rise to the top, um, which I just think is so exciting. It's such an exciting time for journalists all around the world, um, being able to literally be able to leverage this technology to put their stories out um, into the public domain. In terms of your study of moving from regional to national and even international structures, this is so relevant. Just last week, we saw this with the Fairfax Network here in Australia. Is this a trend that you're seeing right around the world where news networks are literally nationalizing their product? Yeah, I think so. Um, on one hand, I see also a tendency to more community and local reporting, but on the other hand, um, a more global um, reporting that we see more and more, right? Like, just look at some of the websites of the, um, you know, traditional local, like, TV stations, for example, in Texas. They all, like, include more and more global and international news because even though they might not have the reporters, they know that their audience can cares about that as well. And so, yes, I see an increasing inclusion of, of those news. And um, the Swiss Public TV also just started a, a show on um, global issues a couple of months ago. So I see, on one hand, more yeah content, but also more elements of globalization within the TV stations. A fascinating dichotomy. Now, we are going to dive deeper into all of this in the second half of the show. But right now, Leah, I want to take a quick break as we enter into what I call the Mad Minute. It's a new initiative on this year's podcast where we just put all, everything else aside for 60 seconds and ask you some quick fire questions. So, Leah, I'm going to ask you 10 questions that I'm hoping to get through in 60 seconds. Oh, so, okay. really short, sharp answers. And this is just a great opportunity for us to get to know you a little better. Are you ready? And the clock will start if you're ready right now. I'm ready, yes. Let's do this. Okay. So, what's the one thing you miss about Switzerland? Uh, chocolates. <laughs> of <Jeez>. course. <laughs> 
The future of journalism is? Uh, bright. Favourite resources for journalists? Critical thinking. Top tip for brands when publishing editorial content? Uh, multimedia. A book you've read recently is? Um, in a way, there's in digital news. Cool, check it out. Most exciting thing about your job is? Uh, the students. Texas? Is big. <laughs> What's more important, the truth or a good story? The truth. Newsrooms of the future will be? Digital, collaborative, global. And finally, Newsmodo is? Just a really, really great startup. <laughs> <laughs> well, I won't say no to that. That was the Mad Minute with Leah, and uh, thanks for joining me on that quick quiz. That was a lot of fun. Now, let's get back into the serious stuff, Leah. Your academic work has mainly revolved around looking at members of the journalistic fraternity. You look at the global media, um, I guess, landscape with your focus really centering around how global news ventures are operating online. Tell us about what your work is going to uncover in your thoughts of 2016? Where's this all leading? Well, what I'm trying to achieve with this is really to um, focus and, you know, survey those four new startups um, and look at the connection of buyers and sellers that is so much um, a part of online culture. Um, want to look at, you know, those different startups are are kind of based across the world, like the ARA Network, GRN Live, News Fix, Story Vault, Story Hunter, just to, to mention a couple that have all this same type of basic idea. But of course, they have the niche market as well. I guess you have to have that nowadays as a startup. So I want to look specifically to what extent, you know, they hire freelancer and how those freelancers cover global stories, like how global are those stories? How are global identities and global powers um, represented in stories and then based on what criteria do startups locate freelancers and how global are their hires for example and yep. um, also, how are stories of global interests linked to audiences? So I really want to look at the audience engaging techniques. That is one element of global journalism that we have to engage, you know, um, our audience. Otherwise, people might not care because it's out of their reach. So it's out of their immediate experience, right? Like if something happens mm. um, now in Africa, some of my students may not care because they've maybe never traveled outside of Texas. So, you know. By engaging them and, you know, giving them this kind of immersive experience, I think, can really help so that they feel responsible for what's going on around the world. Mm. Um, yes. And then um, especially I'm very interested in global media ethics. So what is changing for uh, media ethics if, you know, journalism becomes more global and we are dealing with different political systems that might have different ethics and also laws for journalists. You studied uh, CNN, in particular their iNews service, which is something I've been keeping an eye on for a few years. <laughs> um, right. It's really interesting, I guess, this user-generated content versus professional journalism um, and even networks like CNN, you know, releasing or, or essentially firing 50 of, of their best reporters. Um, this is a highly profitable news enterprise, supposedly, and we're seeing this again and again right around the world. What do you make of that circumstance? Are we going to be seeing more user-generated content or unprofessionally curated content, or does it just not matter as long as the story is in the content? Yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's, it's again, filling something that is not being filled by traditional reporters anymore, because we see that um, CNN reporters, they 
peak at the time when really CNN didn't have access or the resources to send reporters or when there was no um, access. Like, let's talk about the elections in Iran, right? In, I think in 2009. So there was no access for foreign reporters. So CNN I reporters filled a very important gap for, I mean, uh, journalism in itself. Um, I know there is a lot of, you know, um, criticism among the concept of user-generated content, um, especially from the journalism field, like from journalists themselves. They do not believe that this is real journalism because they do not have the education. And we've seen that, for example, CNN responded to that and organized boot camp to train those yes. CNN I reporters. So in a way, uh, as I said, I think they're feeling a, um, a need for the organization. And on the other hand, I think it's also an engaging technique for CNN I reporters themselves. So they, they start caring about their community um, and actually, you know, seeing it with different perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. What do you make of the rise of content marketing agencies and, and- and brands essentially becoming publishers around the world and really dipping into as Newsmoto admittedly has and unashamedly has um, <laughs> engaged the professionalism of um, journalists right around the world to create content. Where do you see all that heading from a brand publishing perspective? Um, I think it's an important thing for the future to, you know, kind of break the Chinese wall of um, the marketing department with the journalism department, right? Mm-hmm. So that we really work somehow together um, more more collaborative in this um, network society. And um, I think it's just important not to to forget about the journalistic values and norms, right? So if we sell it as a journalistic product, it should really be of benefit to a larger public sphere rather than to a corporate interest. Yeah, yeah. And that's really important too. And we advocate the transparency of the content that we create for brands. Uh, you just mentioned an important concept too. I studied that too, kind of like the trend from objectivity to transparency. Yeah. I think, yeah, transparency can really help um, media literacy um, purposes so that people start understanding what's actually going on behind uh, the headlines and, you know, distinguish real reporting from maybe branded content. Yes, absolutely. And this is something that I've always said from the day that Newsmoto started creating essentially branded content is that there is a difference between traditional editorial journalism and the application of the craft of journalism to marketing objectives, which is how I see branded journalism operating. Of course, they must or journalists must work within the constraints of the brief which typically comes from a marketing manager or someone in the marketing team. So it is an interesting dichotomy there. But what it does do is it it provides great storytelling for that client. And we're seeing more and more brands looking to become publishers. So with this um, expansion of, I guess, the, the freelance market and the readily available talent around the world, what would you say brands out there should be looking to replicate from the lessons learned of traditional media publishers? Oh, they should think globally. You know, taking into consideration different um, cultures and uh, cultural differences um, because we are operating in a global market. Even if we think about, you know, Texas or Lubbock as being a local market, there are people from other countries, people, especially a large Hispanic population, for example, Mm. who lives here. So we should really think about um, being culturally mindful about our audiences. I think that's one major part because if you're just 
not engaging them or not, you know, thinking about how, for example, Hispanics consume mobile news or mobile content, it has a very different effect on the way your message is being perceived. So I think, you know, thinking culturally mindful becomes more and more important as we operate in this global world. And I experienced that in a classroom as well. And that's such a fantastic point for us to close the show on because you really do represent that globalization of the industry having <laughs> moved all the way from Switzerland to deep in the heart of Texas. Leah, thank you so much for joining us on Brand Storytelling. I'm sure we'll all be following your research throughout 2016. Thank you so much. It was great to be here. Thank you, Raquel. Thanks for listening. To find out how quality content can empower your brand, head to newsmodo.com.